All right, we've got a new assignment here, folks. We need to come up with a name for a new bad guy. How about something like Sinistor? Love where your head's at, but this isn't your classic mustache twirler, kid. We've got something special today. All right, Chief, what kind of bad guy we got? Space baddie? Criminal mastermind? Nah, that's small potatoes, kid. We've got something a little more eldritch. Eldritch? Boss, you're really breaking out the $5 words. No other way to describe it, kid. This thing is cosmic and unknowable and all that. So, some kind of elder god. How about Golfagog? That's a good name, kid, but it's not elder god kind of bad guy. It's a little more wild. All right, Chief, you gotta give me a little more then. It's an island. A what, Chief? An island. It's an ancient talking island. Are you telling me we got some sort of Krakoa situation going on over here? No, no. This one wants to kill all of humanity and launch itself into space. Oh, also, it makes dinosaurs. Okay, okay. Just gotta find my center here. That's it. What's it, Chief? I didn't say any names. No, you did. The center. That's a great name. It is? I mean, of, of course it is, yeah. All right, we're going with that. Okay, Chief, I'll get the artists, the writers, and we'll bang this one out. Time to talk about comics. Yes. I'm Christina Edelman. And I'm Chris Edelman. And this is Chris's on Infinite Earth. The podcast where nothing will ever be the same. Welcome, readers, to our third and final episode covering DC's The New Frontier issues five and six. That's right. We are finishing up this chonky, chonky crossover. Mm-hmm. Hopefully you've been enjoying it. And, and if not, <laughs> you, you know, maybe maybe you're skipping this episode. Maybe you're like, oh, I was, you're still covering that? Oh, third part? Oh, Okay. You know, I wasn't here for the comics content anyway. You're just really charming to listen to. And for that, readers, thank you. Wow, Chris, is if you read the phone book, we sure would listen to it. That's what Christy seems to think of the audience. <laughs> hey, listen. Yeah? We could make the phone book really interesting. A1 Dog Pound Services. I mean... I haven't read a phone book in a long time. I bet that would bring about some nostalgia. Do you think that A1 has probably gone out of fashion as a name for things because there's kind of no point in being first anymore? I didn't realize that's why that was the case. Oh, yeah. A1 is because it would it would make them show up first in the, in the yellow pages. Well, hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> is that why they called the steak sauce that? Yeah. Really? Or maybe it's either that or sometimes A number one means like the absolute best. All right. Mm -hmm. Huh. So when we were naming the podcast, we could have been A1. <laughs> we could no. have been A1 Comics and we weren't. Look, look. <laughs> it makes more sense than to go for SEO terms, which we also completely failed by making our podcast nearly unsearchable because it is too similar to Crisis. I know. On Every Rights. time you search our podcast name, it's like, did you mean? And we're like, no, no, we didn't. But when people say it, they're like, what a great name. But I'm like, ugh. It, 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 mm, ugh, ugh. All right. Time to start over. New <laughs> podcast. New name. A1 Comics. 
We talk about sauces and comics. We'll be first in the podcast section of your local Yellow Pages. <laughs> However, the area code for our podcast won't be in there because it's local, so it's assumed that you know what the area code is. You'll only have to dial the seven digits. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, we have like one of those catchy like seven digits, digit ones that's like really easy to remember because it spells something or because like all the numbers are like one. Mm, I don't know. We'll have to draw and board it when we get um, somehow into the 90s again, but it's with podcasts this time. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. The 90s are having a revival in fashion. So I, I feel hear. like I feel like it's time for the 90s podcast revival. <sighs> Imagine where you listen to your podcast by dialing a number. one 900 chris That's the number. Kick it's like when you slots. had to call. Uh, what was the number you had to call for the weather? Oh my god! I gosh. don't remember. Did you ever star sixty nine to call back someone who called you? Oh yes, yeah. yes. It wasn't four one one. Four one one was information, right? But there was a different number for weather. There's also a number that you could dial that would give you the exact time. Yes, and I can't remember what that one was. Oh my gosh. Remember Life Before Cell Phones? Life Before Cell Phones was something. It was. Kind of felt like the Wild West a little mm-hmm, bit. Mm-hmm. When you were at the mall and you needed your parents to come pick you up, <laughs> you would call collect from the phone, uh-huh. but you would just say your name and they would know when they heard your name on the phone. They didn't have to accept the call. Mm-hmm. They could just hear your name and know it was time. You'd be like, uh, first name Chris, last name pick me up, please. <laughs> <laughs> movie's done. Yeah. Chris, movie's done. <laughs> Calling Collect, uh, I remember um, Calling Collect was a big one. And then after eight, um, long distance calls got cheaper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nights and weekends. Mm -hmm. I never had a beeper, though. No, no. I was a little too young for a beeper. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There were Power Rangers beepers, though, and I wanted them. I didn't know what they did, but they were Power Rangers. Oh. I wanted a Green Ranger beeper. I'm trying to imagine the kind of teen or adult that had a Power Rangers beeper. Right? Like, (laughs) I don't know. Maybe it's for like latchkey kids. That makes sense. Yeah. I don't know. Really reminiscing on the 90s when we should be reminiscing about the... The Audis. Oh, I meant the 1960s like this comic does. Oh, well, it was written in the audience. We should be reminiscing. That was a really good segue. I and tried. I know sold I that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Christy, let's let's start reminiscing so hard. about the 60s as told by the audience in our summary. <laughs> summary. <laughs> DC The New Frontier, written and drawn by Darwin Cook, colored by Dave Stewart, Lettered by Jared K. Fletcher, edited by Mark Chiarello and Valerie Dorazio. Issue 5. Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen are given a tour of Challenger Mountain as Ace calls up Hal Jordan, who is giving us a little flashback of how he got his green lantern ring from the alien known as Aben Sur. Remember the flash of light last issue? It turns out Hal is a man without fear, which is why the dying alien chooses him to become the next Green Lantern. In the present, Hal experiments with the ring, attempting to fly into space before being stopped by a mysterious force, and then attempting to lift a mountain to bury evidence of Abin Sur's arrival. He loses concentration and drops the mountain. 
Whoops! Back at Challenger Mountain, a Professor Haley is studying tissue samples from all these dinosaur attacks before, uh-oh, another attack report from Cape Canaveral. The Challengers gear up. Clark Kent investigates some footage he's been sent, which contains a children's novel by a Theodore Smizel, who oddly killed himself after finishing the book. The book talks about an entity born of the Earth, who once seeing humanity begin creating nuclear weapons, decided to purge the Earth before leaving it forever. Superman meets with Batman and Robin in Gotham City, where Batman reveals he sent the microfilm to Superman. Superman takes over in assisting investigating the center, and it's also revealed the climactic battle between Batman and Superman years earlier was staged to give Batman an out. On Paradise Island, a large thing suddenly overshadows the Amazons working at sword training. John and Faraday play chess, musing about the terrible thing that lurks on the collective horizon. Superman arrives at Cape Canaveral, and the Challengers witness him wreck a strange mutant pterosaur. And in the Atlantic Ocean, Aquaman observes that the center has been moving amongst the oceans, looking to cleanse the surface. Superman and the Professor investigate the pterosaur's corpse, which is making a strange buzzing sound. Strangely, they hear the buzzing sound again as a bloody Wonder Woman nearly crashes her invisible jet, trying to warn the other heroes of the encroachment of the center. Red Ryan, flying over the Pacific Ocean, notices that Dinosaur Island is missing. Oh, but of course the center is Dinosaur Island, and it's now floating off the coast of Cape Canaveral, blowing everything to bits. In lieu of this, Barry Allen comes out of retirement, after Iris convinces him to do so, and John adopts a Martian but less scary visage to help out. Heroes from all over the world gather at Cape Canaveral. Hal Jordan is hiding at a motel before realizing that the center is likely what brought Aben Sur to Earth. He heads to Ferris Aircraft, asking Tom if he can take the company's flying saucer for a spin. Carol shows up demanding to know what the heck is going on. She realizes Hal is going to fight the center, and they kiss before he heads off. Wonder Woman explains to Superman how the center wrecked Paradise Island and gives him a smooch before losing consciousness, telling him to unite everyone. There's some bickering going on between the gathered heroes, and Superman and Faraday attempt to preach unity. Superman flies toward the center, trying to get a little reconnaissance. The prehistoric creatures attack him, but the center also shoots him with a gigantic blast of energy, seemingly killing Superman. Issue 6. In what's become a classic DC scene, all the magic users are sitting discussing how they could magic this all away, with the Phantom Stranger saying the Justice Society had its chance, and the new heroes should test their mettle. The Stranger has faith. Lois Lane attempts to report on the death of Superman, but breaks down mid-broadcast as she was in love with him. Wayne Enterprises and Lexco, Luther's company, funnel all their resources into attempting to help. Adam Strange is freed from Arkham Asylum since he was not, in fact, making any of this up. He finds Professor Ray Palmer, a man who made a slightly flawed shrinking ray. However, Strange thinks it could be a huge help. John has unfortunately been overwhelmed by the center's mental power. King Faraday attempts to apologize to the Flash for trying to capture him, and the Flash responds by punching him in the jaw. Faraday again attempts to mend fences, asking how fast the Flash can run since they've got a plan. Flash agrees to give it a shot. 
All the egghead scientists meet and decide Palmer's shrinking ray is the answer. A plan is formed as all airmen are to attack the island directly, hopefully inside of it to attack from the inside out. Palmer's unstable shrinking ray, which shrinks things and then blows them up, will then be used by the Flash, running at the speed of light to shrink the entire island at once. It's revealed that the center came to Cape Canaveral to try to eat the base's fuel reserves to get it into space, and Faraday reminds all assembled that this one is for all the marbles. Hal arrives just in time. Stage one goes well, with sea creatures sent by Aquaman to circle the center, and Hal, Ace, and the not-yet-Captain Adam Nathaniel Adam heading into the island itself. On the ground, heroes fight off prehistoric creatures, and a revived Wonder Woman saves Jimmy Olsen from a raging dino. John is overwhelmed by the mental power of the center, and Faraday tussles with the now mind-controlled Martian, demanding the center enter him instead. This act kills King, and John transforms into Martian Manhunter, promising his friend's death won't be in vain. Hal and his wingmen encounter some strange hallucinogenic effects in the center. As the center covers the airplanes in weird goop, Hal undergoes a psychic attack on his insecurities. He changes into Green Lantern attire and escapes his saucer as Nathaniel gains the mental fortitude to self-destruct. Hal grabs Ace and escapes, with warheads detonating inside the island. The Flash succeeds at shrinking the island and is picked up by Wonder Woman. However, the slightly smaller island still heads toward the shore, and it's all up to Hal Jordan. Hal uses his ring and willpower to drag the center into the atmosphere before being psychically contacted by the Guardians of the Universe, who acknowledge him as a true Green Lantern. He hurls the island into space. Hooray! It turns out Superman is A-OK. -okay. He was rescued by Aquaman. A new age of heroes is upon us as the Justice League is formed, with the ending of the comic as the first battle of the Justice League against Starro the Conqueror. That's it. It's all done. All the threads. They came together. I mean, most of them, yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to remember back to like some of the stuff in the first issue, and I'm like... How necessary was this? Like, John Henry in there, we see, like, his son, somebody sitting Somebody at, the at grave his grave, yeah. At the end. Probably uh, not his son, because his whole family was supposed to have oh, been Oh, that's killed. true. So, yeah. that Again, that, that story seemed like it needed to be like, hey, racism. It existed. Yep. It exists. Yep. Um, otherwise, a lot of them do. It's interesting that we had such a long early story that took place on Dinosaur Island. Mm-hmm. Only for Dinosaur Island to not actually be... A place. Uh, yeah. It's a thing. It's a thing. And it doesn't like you, human beings, because you made a nuke. Mm-hmm. Which came first, the center or Krakoa? Mm. I think Krakoa was post-dinosaurs, but the center was pre-dinosaurs, so I would say the center. Oh, you're talking about, like, chronologically. I mean, like, in comics. Oh, in comics? The center was invented for this. So oh. Krakoa, because Krakoa came about okay. in giant size. Okay, so the center is entirely a new frontier concept. Yes. That Dinos makes sense, Dinosaur because Dinosaur Island still, like, is something that is present in the DC universe. Yes. Dinosaur Island is an old is older. I think it's changing into the center for this is, is unique to this. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. I think I had that thought as I read it, and then I forgot I had that thought. Well, I'm glad you remembered that you forgot that you had that thought. I'm glad that you could clarify that I had thought that I forgot that I then remembered. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of neat that 
uh, household deal happens off screen and then we get it in a series of little flashbacks again, basically like assuming that you kind of know this a little bit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Did you know that about Hal Jordan? Did you know his weird little origin story? I mean, I assumed it was like all of the Green Lantern origin stories, you know, alien comes, gives ring, alien dies. What's this about? That's only Hal's. Is it only how? Yeah. The normal no. way that Green Lanterns are chosen is well, that... the ring just flies off and finds them. No, but that's how Kyle Rayner got the oh, ring. Did, did an alien die? Yeah. An oh. alien found him and died. Okay. I'm, 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 I'm wrong then. Look at you. <laughs> you're, you're so, you're so pleased with yourself. <laughs> Christy read six Kyle Rayner comics. I was... did. I could not make it past the fridging. Yeah, you were like, no. <laughs> God, that was awful. And you were like, I really like his girlfriend, Alex. And I'm like, ah. <laughs> okay. But I just thought that that's what always happens. Somebody dies and get, or gives you a ring and dies. Like It is mostly that an alien <laughs> dies, but then the ring will fly off to find a replacement mm. rather than like the alien bequeathing it to you. Right. There's a lot of weirdness in that they like, like originally was Abin Sur crash lands on Earth in a spaceship, gives Hal the Green Lantern ring. Mm. But then later they show that the Green Lanterns can just fly through space. And they're like, why did Abin Sur use a spaceship? And there's all this like, so they like, I say they, Jeff Johns needed to make reasons for all of this as opposed to just going, who cares? Like a normal person. Right. See, when Kyle Rayner got his ring, the alien died and was like, well, I guess this, somebody's got to give this, I've got to give this ring to somebody, and here's this guy, and I guess he'll work for now. It Poor wasn't Kyle like <laughs> Kyle was. You are shown to be a person br- without fear. It's just like, you're a guy. You're here. You're here. <laughs> here's a ring. Good luck. Are you saying that Kyle Rayner is DC's Mr. Right Now? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Does that make Hal Mr. Right? Let's not talk about that. <sighs> Hal still gets a lot of viewpointage in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like Hal is definitely supposed to be our main, our main, our main char- it's character. It's like Hal and dude. John. Mm-hmm. I feel like mostly towards the end. Right. With a little bit of a nod to the Flash. Who in this is... He gets to do some cool stuff. That's ha- Barry Allen. Yeah, Barry Allen. Who's given like, way more of a personality than he ever had in the comics. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I liked him in this, so that makes sense. In the original comics, like, he... Those comics I love because they are just ridiculous. They are so silly. Like, oh, I'm going to stop the somebody who does tornadoes or whatever by moving my arms like tornadoes. You know, just silly, silly crap like that. But he is, like, the most, like tapioca pudding of a human being in that he is just generic do-gooder uh with very with like wet cardboard personality but i still i mean isn't that a case the case of a lot of superheroes of that time yeah it's just i i think i think barry allen didn't got the he didn't develop much from that right right Mm -hmm. whereas we've seen like superman and batman in lots of different ways and we've seen further like we've seen legacy the flashes yeah and like do other things and like there was not considered to be like a good Barry Allen run on the flash really at all other than like 
again, and this might just be me, those like early stories, which I have a huge soft spot for, but like then Wally West's whole deal on the flash is considered to be like this cool seminal run. And he's such an interesting character where Barry was not. And a lot of people are like, Oh, Barry is only is more interesting as an aspirational figure who is uh, not around than an actual like hero. Mm. And even now the Barry in the comics is so different from the Barry who's like pre-crisis that it's almost like a different character. I was so ready for Barry to have to like shoot energy from like magic users or whatever into. <laughs> like, I'm shocked he didn't pull out a, like one of the treadmills and just start running on. You know the sometimes right? they have the treadmills. Yes. Yeah. yeah. He just has to run to shoot the energy <clears throat> get through. To be fair, he had to run and be at every point on the island at one time because the beam only shoots so much, and so he had to get everything at once. They couldn't make a bigger beam. No, they didn't have time. <laughs> They had to have the guy run really fast. <laughs> He's got one job all the time. Oh. Man, I still don't know that I really understand the center's whole deal. And I don't know if it matters that I do or I don't, because I don't think that's really the point. But it's like one of those baddies that I'm just like, oh, where did they come from? Why are they here? They, okay, they just want to hurt people, so obviously they're bad. I think the center is supposed to represent humanity's collective guilt at bringing the horrors of nuclear weapons into the world. I thought that was Godzilla. Well, Godzilla's not in this comic, so I'm <laughs> the center. Oh. Okay, so... And that's why it's so it's so like important to have it take place during the Atomic Age. Okay. I mean, did... Darwin Cook maybe just want an excuse to draw a bunch of dinosaurs? Probably. The dinosaurs at the end were different than the dinosaurs at the beginning. Yeah, they, they got like slowly like weird and mutated looking. Mm-hmm. They looked like they looked like creatures from Limbo in yeah. like like Marvel's Limbo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Slightly less colorful and less no, humanoid. I, but. Dave Stewart crushed the colors on this. Mm-hmm. I feel like the coloring, especially during like the psychedelic scenes where they're mm-hmm. like in the center and he's like covering everybody in goop. Yeah, that was that was weird. Yeah. Dave Stewart does good colors. Love a Dave Stewart. Mm-hmm. Not that the colors were bad. I was just differentiating mm-hmm. the the cre- the dinosaurs from the creatures of Limbo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you're right. They got kind of creepier and weirder. Just like the mm-hmm. island turned into a they, weirder thing. They all had to be shades of yellow, though. Ooh, yeah. Because, <laughs> because... I love how Hal was like, you know what I need to fly into the center? That's right. The flying saucer prototype. <laughs> right? It couldn't be anything else, huh? And then the flying saucer, like, didn't even work right. Right. So he had to use the ring to power the saucer. Right. I totally love that presence of mind, though, to be like, do this thing for me and don't listen to me if I try to have you do something else. I'm like, love that planning for a mental breakdown. Yeah, it's good. It's so relatable. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's everything that we think about Hal Jordan, relatable guy. (laughs) I mean... This is Hal Jordan drew rose-colored glasses. Yes, this is this is basically a, a Hal Jordan you're supposed to like with no history of all the things you're not supposed to like. Right. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, 
you'd see it described everywhere in like the solicits and previews for this that this is Darwin Cook's love letter mm-hmm. to the Silver Age. Right. And it certainly you certainly see that in the characters. That that is how we're supposed to feel about all of them. I hate Faraday though. Oh yeah. He's very hateable. I think I feel like I liked him more at the end of issue four, and I've just come back around and I'm like, really? Nope. Even after his heroic sacrifice? Yeah, well, I think I just. he uh, Faraday was scripted saying a word that was very common oh, yes. in uh, the <clears throat> aughts that it should not have been. And it was just really jarring to read. And I was just like, no, I don't like him at all anymore. That's fair. Mm hmm. Not redeemable after that. You know, he's not a he's not a very important DC character. Nope. <laughs> he's I, weirdly important in this. I do did like the joke about King Fer- Faraday. King, King Faraday. Yep. Yeah. That's like the most like you know some comic comic book writers just want to name people puns like that's that's the one. That'd be our job. Just just pun, pun names. names. We we already did it with the name of our podcast. It's true. There's also, there's so many good ones already though, like Amanda Kiss and Hug. These are all good. Who's Amanda Kiss and Hug? I'm Amanda Kiss and Hug. Well, I know you are, <laughs> sweetheart. <laughs> How do you feel about the fact that John decides his best bet is to disguise himself as a kind of green, like human-ish looking person? Yes, I look mostly human, except I am green, but I look very friendly. And also, you can see my legs. My legs. Them gams. <laughs> also, what are shirts? I only need suspenders. Yeah, he just needs some suspendies. <laughs> That's friendly to me. Christy's like, all right. <laughs> There's a guy I can sink my teeth into. And the Superman cape. Yeah. He definitely seemed to model himself off of a neuter Superman. <laughs> Superman, but less clothes. Yeah. I mean, that is like, I don't know if that's something that was retconned in later. I would need to look up more about Martian Manhunter. Mm. I think he was made for a while. He was that, supposed that to just was... be like generic green man mm-hmm. and then got the weird appearance later. But I'm not 100% sure. So I need to check that out. Mm-hmm. We got a lot of, um, like, oh, no, seems like, you know, they're really done for here. Psych moments. Yeah, it is. It, it wraps up all very neatly, other than, like, the, I, like, I'm shocked the Challengers didn't die because the Challengers stopped being relevant in the Silver Age, I would say. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of the characters that stopped being relevant in the Silver Age, like, get killed off. <laughs> other than Rick Flagg, but that's, I think that's just kind of a different portrayal what really got me was wonder woman showing up in a blood-soaked invisible jet that was messed up (laughs) i mean it was something about the pose we first see her in and just the colors are good but the blood there just seemed so cartoonish Mm -hmm. and she was seated in a way oh no christy (laughs) and i was just (laughs) you're like what? <laughs> it looked like she had a rough trip to the bathroom. Oh no. <laughs> it was not 
an emotional moment when I when I did my swipe to the next page on my tablet. It was like a wait, what is this? I didn't think about that, but boy, that could have been like somebody's bad joke, right? Oh yeah. Like that you know, like there's a lot of like silly like comic jokes about superheroes. Like mm-hmm. I feel like that's like a one that could be like the absolute like in poorest taste. Yep. <laughs> okay, well I'm glad it wasn't that. <laughs> oh. I do think it's what like I I will never quite understand why Wonder Woman has an invisible jet and can also fly, but it's fine. Right, right. What I did not see coming was the whole Superman, Batman that they're you know face off that we read about before was all staged. I'm yeah. like, ah, oh, look at that. <laughs> Look at them. It does humanize Superman in a way where he seemed real like goody two shoes G man. Right. Like government stooge. And mm-hmm. in this, it's like, oh, he did a little lie. He did a little fibbing. He did. Yeah. He did. And you got to see your go down with this ship just ever so slightly fulfilled in that that little that little kiss yeah. of Superman and Wonder Woman. I did. I don't generally like that. Uh, no, I know. And I, it, it, I, it's not my accolade for this issue because I was like, Ugh. <laughs> I only like it when she's mean. <laughs> oh no! What does that say about me? <laughs> I'm not Superman. You're my Superman. Oh, you're very sweet. You're my Amanda hug and kiss. <laughs> Oh, boy. <laughs> I like that we got, like, a second of Robin, and Robin was just, like, incredibly stoked to meet Superman. Just, just real happy to be there. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Batman wasn't... Batman and Robin were not at all involved in the facing down this, you know, terrifying figure. Sometimes they like to put Batman in these, like, gigantic crossovers, and sometimes it works, and sometimes I'm like, what does he do in fighting, like... An elder god. Right, he can. It works in Final Crisis, a comic we have not covered. Okay. I, I will take I will take your word on it. I promise. Okay. Oh, I can't wait to cover Final Crisis. Although I always say that'd be the en- that's gonna be the end of the podcast, so the final. Mm-hmm. Final Crisis. The final that's Chris- what we'll call that episode. What, no, it'll be like three or four episodes. We'll call all of them <laughs> the final Chris's. Part one, part two. <laughs> So in general, do you think that do you like what like what, you've read this whole thing? What are your what are your general thoughts on it? Do you like Darwin Cook's cartooning? Because I feel like that's supposed to be the main draw. Okay, so I feel like the analogy of a love letter works really well here because love letters are often verbose mm-hmm. and full of really loving details and special connections and 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 things and I, I feel like that's it here but if you read a love letter that wasn't written to you it doesn't really have the same impact and so while there's a lot of things i liked about this it still felt like reading a love letter that wasn't for me i think that's fair as a person who you're you are I don't know if I'd really call you a Marvel or a DC person. I don't know. Probably more of a Marvel person than a DC person. Which, since I've begun actually reading comics, is the case. But for me, when I started reading comics, I was initially drawn more to DC just because that was 
uh, those characters were more in my cultural lexicon as a child. Right. So I do have a little bit of childhood nostalgia for those characters, but I didn't know them well enough to get like, oh, a character appears in not a costume and we hear their name and, oh, this is supposed to mean something special. But it, I'm like, mm, do I? I might. Uh. But like the characters you probably had a nostalgia for were like, the big names. You really like Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Tops. Mm-hmm. Like, you probably weren't like, heck yeah, Green Lantern when you were a kid. Yeah, no. no. Mm-hmm. Uh. Yeah, I don't know when Green Lantern first entered my awareness, but... He was in the... just. Uh, John Stewart was in the Justice League cartoon, mm-hmm. but we were like on the borderline of that being something we would watch. Right. So, I can recognize that it's a nicely written love letter. Mm-hmm. Um. The art works. The the art is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. It works well for me in some ways. It was difficult for me in terms of recognition of characters, mm-hmm. just because of the nature of the story and so often characters being out of costume uh, and a lot of faces being similar. Um, but overall, I I appreciate how all the threads came together. It was kind of a slow start for me, especially with such long issues. Mm-hmm. So could it have told the same story in a more concise and shorter way? Yes. But I don't know if it would have been as effective at what it was trying to do That's fair. with that love letter. And, you know, not every comic's for every person. And I think that this could be considered a pretty good success at what it aimed to do. And maybe it wasn't a thing that's specifically for me, but I can appreciate that it was well done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anytime I've re- read... New Frontier, I've always kind of found myself wanting different things from it, which probably isn't fair. Mm-hmm. Like, some of these characters, I just don't, I like, I didn't need a story with them in it. Mm-hmm. But I, like, that's not the purpose. The purpose is a love letter to the beginning of the Silver Age. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, I don't care about the Challengers of the Unknown because I haven't read them. I should. They are one of Jack Kirby's creations. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're just in it a lot. Uh, again, I should probably read that. But, um, before I read this comic, there is an, an animated version of New Frontier. Mm-hmm. It unfortunately doesn't quite use the same style. Mm-hmm. It does use the same story. And even, like, I, th- my favorite part of that was John John's turning into the characters watching TV. Mm-hmm. That's still very good. At, but I found the rest of it, like, I was like, oh, this just isn't what I was... Mm-hmm. hoping for for I did reason. really like John John's story throughout all of this. Yeah, it's good. It is a solid story. Mm-hmm. Hal's story I was compelled by, but it was also slightly off-putting because it was Hal. Because it's Hal. I'm like, poor guy. Uh, do he, I have to like him? He do cannot I? escape. Do I? Are we ready to get into some questions? Yeah. We have a couple of listener questions. Not a ton here. We were a little late putting out the call, but I feel, I feel like we've got some really thoughtful ones. First one, Chris is, what's the old frontier? No, I'm kidding. That's not what they said. <laughs> All right. Our first question comes from at Brawl 2099. Could this story have worked with any other artist? If so, who? Hmm. I feel like this was dedicated to Jack Kirby. So sure, Jack Kirby could have done it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Maybe, maybe. But like, n- no, no, I don't think so. It's it's so it's so cookie. Yeah. 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 I And I like I don't think the movie works because it lacks that. Oh. 
I haven't seen it, but I could I could get that. It the story, the style of storytelling itself and the art were very in sync. Yeah. So could another artist have achieved that same style? Yes, but could another artist have done a different style that would have worked with the story better? I don't think so. That's not to say I don't think another artist could do their own period piece and do their thing. It's right. just it's hard to divorce that. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and second question from at Brawl 2099, could a post-crisis version of this story set in the late 80s, early 90s be successful? So like a let's bridge the post-crisis to the pre-crisis or from the pre-crisis to the post-crisis era. So this would have been like right. that Green Lantern story, things like um, Batman Year One, which you have not read, but I've read Superman Man of Steel. Mm hmm. So I read somewhat recently, uh, I say recently, I think it's been two years at this point, uh, Dial H for Hero, which was like a short uh, made for teens mm -hmm. book. The whole deal with Dial H is they find a, like there's a rotary dial where if you dial hero on the rotary dial, it turns you into a random superhero. Oh, I think I, I recall you talking with me about this before. But it's not like a superhero that, ex that it's not like Superman. I mean, I think one point it's a Superman. It's usually like like chainsaw hands or something like, but the artist was Joe Quinones and Joe aped like six different artistic styles in this. Mm. But the way that he portrayed there is, there's a character that was supposed to be so Rob Liefeld that it like hurt. Mm -hmm. I feel like Joe, Joe Quinones could do like a really fun eighties, nineties pastiche where it wouldn't be like ultimately like gross and dark. And that I feel like a lot of people would want to do. Oh, so that's, I, I'd say yes, but let Joey Q do it. All right. Okay. Our next question comes from at Rev Pancakes. You've commented a few times that this is both pushed as an intro comic, but also relies on prior knowledge. Do you think it succeeds or fails as an intro given that? I think it's a terrible intro. I think it's, I think it's fun after you've, after you know, mm -hmm. um, some comics history. I don't think it means you have to have read everyone's origin story to enjoy this. Mm -hmm. I just don't think it's a wonderful intro comic. Mm -hmm. I feel like I couldn't have really answered this question until I finished reading all six issues. Mm -hmm. But with the conclusion being what it was and kind of seeing the whole for what it is, like, no, it's definitely not an intro. It like a love letter is not an intro. Right. <laughs> this is not your first date comic. Uh, they they also say, as someone who got into comics as a kid by reading random trades at the library, I kind of see in media res as a benefit. I guess I kind of get that. I just think there's a lot of like, look at this is that mm -hmm. just don't. F that you Although if you were reading that as a kid, maybe that's a something that would be like, oh, I want to read more about this. I want to. That's no true. More it's that. it's not so terrible that it's like incomprehensible. I just don't think it's like a good like intro to all of the characters necessarily. Mm -hmm. so maybe I feel like I would maybe after reading this want to read more Martian Manhunter. All right, like, I'll get you started. Let's I don't do think it. I've ever read anything that's like a, a solo title. They're they're few and far between. Okay, like I don't think there's one currently. Right, there was one for a little bit there. What? Do you know off the top of your head what he debuted in? Probably one of the showcase issues. For a okay. while, DC had this kind of, um, it was like a, a title that would 
I don't know if its purpose was originally to debut superheroes, but a lot of superheroes debuted in it. The Flash uh. did. Green Lantern did. I'm not 100% sure that Martian Manhunter mm-hmm. did, but I'll, I'll look it up. Yeah, I just, I now have like a soft spot. For, for old Martian Manhunter. You would love Morrison's run. I feel like Martian Manhunter gets some really good stuff in that. Mm-hmm. I think you would love Morrison's run anyway, because it is just, it is what you love about comics, which is when things are wacky and out there. I think you've told me this before, so maybe I need to give it a shot. Yeah. Morrison's Superman is also, like, All-Star Superman is one of my favorite comics ever. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's not JLA and doesn't have Martian Manhunter, but sorry, I could talk about Grant Morrison all day. You download it on my tablet, I will read it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I will read at least an issue and decide. (laughs) I will read an issue and forget that the other 10 are downloaded. Maybe. Maybe. But tell you what, a couple weeks, you send me get a pedicure... I do my best comics readings. That's true. You've crushed like 20 issues at a pedicure. (sighs) It's been so long. You know, it just hasn't been the best idea. (laughs) Right. It hasn't. It really hasn't. You know, it's a, it's an inside space. (laughs) Gonna get my booster shot and get a pedicure. (laughs) Sounds good. (laughs) All right. You ready to head on into those accolades? Sure. All right, what's that best line? My best line uh, came from Lois, and it's during the footage we get of like the the first kind of like attack on the center, and it's grainy, black and white. It looks really cool. Uh, but Lois says, um, and I'm going to edit some of this language to make it family friend friendly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Corporal. Corporal, shut up and pick up that camera. You'll get this shot or I'll throw you off this GD chopper. Now stand up. Because <laughs> he just likes bossy ladies. Yeah. <laughs> so mine comes from The Flash. Uh-huh. Who after after Faraday is like, you think you're fast enough? He says, watch my smoke, G-Man. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was good. Oh. Yeah, I liked The Flash being mean to Faraday. That was good. Punches him. <laughs> so good. Uh, uh, speaking of The Flash, he's my greatest hero. Oh, for doing the island thing? Mm-hmm. That's fair. Yeah, like, just just showing up after after people were real mean to him, trying to catch him, and, you know, him giving up on his superheroing. He was doing good things catching Captain Cold, and they were just mean. And he still came to help save the day anyway. Yep. I gave it to Hal. Again? I know, but he shot the island in his space. I thought he just contained the explosion. I thought he, like, shot it upwards. Maybe I'm wrong. No, he said it was, like, too heavy. Too much, even for the ring. I thought that's, like, when the Guardians showed up and were like, we've now granted you the power or something. No, yeah, I think maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Mm. Okay. All right, what about the coolest moment? The psychedelic attack was super cool. Like, that was just an art showcase. Yes, artistically, that was probably the coolest moment. Um, except, maybe, for my coolest moment, oh, where Lois sees that Superman's back and the look on her face. And just, I've got it right there. It just looks like she's doing one of those big, like, gulp holding back all sorts of emotions. Just seeing Superman come in and, you know, he's still alive. She just had that meltdown, like, on camera. It was just, 
it was like a sweet moment, but it was like cool. Like, oh, Superman's back. Like, I thought our one, they're back, is like the Wonder Woman was back. Mm -hmm. But then we got another one. I was like, Superman could have died in this. Like, this isn't continuity. I do like that Wonder Woman was just treated by laying down for a little bit (laughs) and was just like, I'm fine. (laughs) Superman was apparently treated by some sea, some sea medicine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, King Arthur of Atlantis. Yeah, whoever that guy is. It's, that's Aquaman, dude. I, that's what I yeah. thought, but I never heard him call himself Arthur King Curry Arthur. Arthur is his name. And he's See, a king, so. I, thought, I guess that makes king sense. King Arthur's like real like on the nose though, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, it's comics. <laughs> All right. What about the Crusher Creel Award for Silly Villainy? Ah, uh, yes. I'll make evil dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> Mine was just to the fact that the bad guy was yellow. It's <laughs> all you need to do sometimes to just make make it so Green Lantern can't do anything. And it was all yellow. <laughs> do you think when that comes on on the radio, Hal just changes it so fast? <laughs> Look at the stars. He's like, yes, I do like this part. <laughs> all right. Uh, readers, if you don't know our Key of C accolade, which is next, it is uh, a moment that we feel would be enhanced by a musical number. Minus Hal recounting his meeting with Eben, sir. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I feel like that could have been a fun flashback number. Imagine, like, if they had some, if, if you were on stage and there was something, like, something, some very thin bit of wire, or maybe even, like, several wires to give it kind of a, like, a like a 3D effect, move the ring up as it's like spotted in green. Oh, uh, sorry. I, I got, I got really theatrical when I was thinking about it. I thought you were ta- maybe going to mention like a mountain floating and falling. I mean, that, that could be, I mean, that could come on the, come on a fly. Come on. That would work. Yeah. That would be cool. I say that I feel like theater technology has probably increased since we've been in college oh, to a ridiculous degree that I yeah. wouldn't even know what they were doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I was impressed by Very a fly cool. system in co- in college because our high school didn't have one. Right? Yeah. Right? Intelligent light. The lights move. What? I had to do that myself. <laughs> okay. Uh, my key of C uh, went to the meeting of the the, the magic users. <sighs> where That's they a just fun scene. Had a, like a random banquet floating in space and Billy Batson had like the biggest bowl of ice cream. I like that for some reason he's talking like very intelligently for like a little child. Right. Like he's eating ice cream like a little child but speaking like like Captain Marvel. That's pretty And he weird. eats so much ice cream that he gets a headache and Zatanna has to tell him to stop eating it. And then he says, yes, Miss Zatanna. It's so strange. He's got it like all over his mouth and he's like, these humans will have to fend for themselves. <laughs> so I just imagine just a very funny little, like almost like a tap number. Do you think that Cook just doesn't like Captain Marvel? Because, like, Captain Marvel's whole deal is he's the world's mightiest mortal. Even though he's, like, a magic person, he's supposed to be, like, I don't know. I would have liked to have seen Captain Marvel there, but I love Captain Marvel. Right? Like, Captain Marvel was not part of the love letter here. No. To be fair, Captain Marvel is not Silver Age, really, at all. Yeah, that's He's Golden Age. But but was still here for some reason. Eating ice cream. (laughs) 
All right. What ship would you go down with, romantic or otherwise? Uh, Iris and Barry were real cute, where Iris is like, I know you're the Flash, you goof. You big old goober. You think mm-hmm. you think I wouldn't know you're the Flash? Right. You dummy. <laughs> go do Flash stuff. We've got a daily double. Hit hey. it, Matt D. Wilson. I kind of, this is going to sound a little silly. I kind of felt like th- that was a Chris Christie thing where I, like, I'm, I, I, I do not like keeping any sort of secret from you, mm-hmm. but I feel like if, if I had to do it like for your own good, I would feel like I was doing the best job at it. And you would probably be like, figure it out in like <laughs> seconds because I'm such a dummy. <laughs> Here, sweetheart, here's your super suit. Go do your thing. I've always known. Yeah. (laughs) It's very sweet. Mm -hmm. Okay. And finally, the goodest hit. It's got to be Faraday getting the punch (laughs) from Barry Allen, right? Okay, one more Daily Double. Hit it, Matt D. Wilson. No hit gooder than that. It's not even too good. not even when the center gets like blown up. That's not a hit anyway. Right. Yep. It's just an explosion. It's no, it's too good. Mm-hmm. He he pon- he punched G Man. Mm-hmm. G Man get punch. Yeah, he does. Perfect. It's wonderful. Well, that's gonna wrap it up. Thanks again to Matt Boda for requesting this one. Yeah. It was it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Fun fun little DC event here. Fun little. Little. <laughs> many fun little many pages. Fun little six-issue triple-sized event. Yeah. Uh, And if you would also like to get in on the action and be able to request some episodes or make us have a permanent new accolade or all sorts of things, be involved in voting or... um, what or d- deciding what we cover on the show, you can head on over to patreon.com. Um, but if you would like to support us in other ways monetarily, you can also head on over to Kofi. Links for both of those are in the show notes. And if you don't want to do either of those, you can always just give us one of those five star reviews on iTunes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We'll read you out your read out whatever you say on the show, assuming it's appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. Or you could just like, if you don't remember your iTunes login, your Apple ID, like many of us, uh, you, you you can just just tweet it, tweet about us. Yeah, T- we, tell we a like friend that about too. us. That's great. Yeah, it, it serves serves a very similar purpose. And if you want to find us to tweet at us, we are on Twitter and Facebook at Chris's Pod. And if you have a longer form message you would like to send to us, you can send that to Chris's on Infinite Earths at gmail dot com. And until next time, readers. Slay your enemies, and all you desire shall be yours.